Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the fifth week of our series called Wallet, Keys, Armor. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Now, for those who haven't heard, we you know, had some good news as uh, Sandy and I had from a couple months ago. Uh, my oldest daughter, Tiffany, and her husband told us that they are expecting a baby this spring, and so we're looking forward to being grandparents. It's exciting. And even as we have done that, you know, they've been actually living in our house. They, they were in medical school in Kentucky, and, and they moved back here in, to Ohio. And, uh, and at first, they were going to live in our basement to find a house, and they found a house, and now they've been renovating the house. And so they've been here pretty much since, uh, you know, in our home since, since June. And uh, hopefully one of the day they'll finish renovating the house. But, uh, but the result is that we've gotten to have her with us and see day-to-day the you know, first half of her pregnancy. We've been able to go through it with her. And it's reminded me of something that I've known for a long time. And that is, if the future of humanity depended on men having babies, we wouldn't have much of a future. And um, you know, I know there might be some men who have one baby, but it's just because of ignorance, and they didn't really know what was coming, but there, I don't think there would be any more that, anyone who would have more than one. And now I know that anybody who is a man here, and you have a wife that you've seen her go through the pregnancy and childbirth, you can understand what I'm saying. You can relate to this, and it is an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing, and we talk about it. And, but there's a lot of things that I tell you we really, we want to relate to you, but we really don't understand. And... Um, we pretend we do, but we don't. And, and I'll give you a good example. I, I know for me, on the top of that list is when Sandy was pregnant, and she'd call me over, and she would say, oh, come here, put your hand on my stomach. I feel the baby moving. Oh, do you feel the kick? And, and, and I'm there, and, and, I, um, and I'm, because I'm not totally clueless, I act very excited, and I say, wow, that's incredible. How exciting. But in reality, I can say this now that she's not currently pregnant, uh, what I'm really thinking is something's moving inside of you. That's, that's not exciting. That's, that's creepy. You know, just this, I can't imagine that. I mean, let's, to be honest, most men in my generation, when we think of that, I, I think of the movie Alien, and the alien grows inside and bursts out of the stomach, and I'm thinking that's, that's kind of what, just not something that I want. And, and then it goes beyond that. All the things that pregnancy does to a mom's body and it grows and the belly scrap, you know, stretches and, and the hormones got out of whack and life changes. And, and we say it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And, and I want to say, I can say now, it's beautiful and wonderful because it's happening to her. If it were happening to me, there would be nothing I would think that would be beautiful or wonderful about it. I just wouldn't want it. And, and that doesn't even talk about labor pains and birth and all those things. And, and I remember when I saw Sandy go through this, I mean, part of my thought was, and you wanted this? I mean, I understand the first time, but then after you experienced it, you wanted it again? And, and you know, why did she want it? Well, there's a reason. You see, through, throughout her pregnancy, she went through, yes, the discomfort and all the changes, but she knew that it would bring a blessing. She knew that, that the first one, it would bring, you know, our little baby Tiffany, our oldest, and and she's now 28 and expecting, so it's a long, old picture. And then, and then she'd get pregnant again. We'd have a little Christy, another little girl. And then her third pregnancy was a double blessing. So we had Jonathan and David and twins. And, and, um, and, and you look at that, and it was the hope of the pregnancy 
When I say that, I mean the promise of a child that was real, that drove her through the discomfort, the pain, and all the difficulty. She was fixated on that reward. And if you ever lost sight of that, if you ever lost sight of why you were doing this, you see, then who in the world would want to endure all the discomfort of the pregnancy? You see, what we think is really important. How we view our purpose is very incredibly important. And we're going to come back to that, but just in context, we're looking at the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we've come to the end. And really, at the end, what Paul is teaching us here is that, you know, this, living out this Christian life is hard. And one of the reasons that it's difficult is that there's a spiritual enemy that is working against us, that, that he says that we're literally in a spiritual battle, a war. And he calls us to put on the armor of God that, that helps us to win that battle. So we see in verse 13, we read a moment ago, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Okay, we're in this battle and, and we're going to get knocked down unless we take up these resources that God has given us. And he talks about the armor and, and, uh, and we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. This morning, we're going to look at one piece of that armor. It's referred to here as the helmet of salvation. It's this helmet that protects our thinking. Now, we understand from a basic standpoint, protecting our head in battle is really important, even to, to this day. If you join the army, I think one of the things that they're going to do really early is they're going to say, okay, here's the helmet. Here's how do you put it on. When you're any place where there's fighting, wear the helmet. You know, when you hear gunfire, keep your head down. Now, if you join the army and they say, the helmet's not important, and look up when you hear gunfire, it's because they don't like you. And uh, no, it's, it's really important. You got to protect your head. We know that. So why is it that we call, talk about the helmet of salvation? Because in the same way, we need a helmet to protect specifically our thinking. So what we've seen throughout the series, for those that have been with us, is that Paul describes these different pieces of armor, and each one he uses a metaphor, and he likes and likens it to something that we need. So we're to put on the belt of truth, because truth is what holds everything together. We're to have a breastplate of righteousness because an understanding of our righteousness before God protects our heart. We're to have shoes that provide peace because if we have peace with God, it's, it provides traction that keeps us from stumbling. We're to have faith that is like a shield against the attacks of the enemy. And so what is the purpose of the helmet? So let's think about this metaphor. We're called to put on the helmet of salvation because as the helmet protects the head, so this protects our mind. It protect, protects a right understanding of, of God's salvation, will protect our mind, it will protect us against Satan's attacks and our thinking and our understanding. So let's think about the helmet that they would have worn at that time. It would have been something like this. It's not only a kind of a metal thing, but it would have a band to protect the forehead. It would have these plates to protect the cheeks. It actually had an extension in the back to protect the neck. You know, you think of Joe's and what he wore in that video in the beginning, the red plum. Well, that was, that was only for the uh, centurions or the, you know, the generals so that you would see who was actually in charge on the battlefield. This is generally something of what they wore, and, and it provided great protection. And in the same way, what the Bible's teaching is that we need protection against our, our, our mind. Satan's going to come and he's going to attack us in our thinking, and if we could we suffer a blow, one blow to the head, boy, it can do incredible damage. See, it's important when we look at this because the issue that he's talking about is what we believe, what we believe about and, and understand about our life, about our identity, our sense of security, our destiny, all these things. You know, who are we? Why are we here? Are we, are we good people or are we defined by our past failures? 
Are we limited by what we've done in the past? Are we victims of fate, or is there some greater purpose in life? These are all vital questions. And we, can real, we need to realize we can have all the other pieces of armor, and, and they're all important, but if we don't have this, and our understanding of these questions are wrong, again, Satan can take us out. We can lead a de- defeated life, because if we don't understand who we are, our identity, our security, our destiny, you see, we can easily be defeated. So practically, what does it mean then to put on the helmet of salvation? What is he talking about here? You know, does it just mean, well, you know, if you're a believer, know that you're saved? Well, I don't think it's just that, uh, because that's where he would start. So what are we talking? Well, part of the challenge is we're talking about the idea of salvation. And and actually, when the Bible talks about salvation, it's a very broad word. And, And it talks about it actually in three different aspects or three different tenses, because it's such a broad term that you, you can't just like, well, here's the one thing. It's, it's all, it, it, it can, conveys a lot more than what we often think. And so basically the word salvation means to be rescued, to be rescued from some, some danger, from some judgment. And so when the Bible talks about being saved as followers of Christ, it means that we have been rescued from the judgment of God. It's talking about everything that God does for us in our, through our faith within him. Now, what does it mean? Well, we're saved from you know, God's punishment for our sins, yes, but that's only part of it. There's far more. See, here's what we need to realize. It's talking about what's our problem. What are we saved from? We're saved from sin. Not only from sin, it's effects upon our life. So now, when we think of that, the most obvious thing is because of our sin, we're separated from God, and, and we deserve God's punishment. Well, that's true, but not only that, because of our sin, it impacts our relationships with each other. It impacts every aspect of life. And therefore, when we think about salvation, it's not just talking about our forgiveness in Christ and our benefits from God. That's the starting point. But it also talks about our relationships with each other and every other aspect of life. Now, to help us understand this, the Bible, again, speaks of, you know, of, of salvation in three different tenses because it helps us understand the whole of what God does for us. It talks in a sense of the past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. There's a sense as followers of Christ, we have been saved. There's a sense that we are being saved and a sense that we will be saved. And I think for many churches, when we talk about it, the most common is we talk about, we have been saved, the past tense. You know, and churches will use that terminology. Have you been saved? Or here's when I was saved. And Well, again, that's part of it. But then we have other passages that talk in the present sense. So, for example, Philippians 2, it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So we're called not something in the past, but something in the present that we're called to work on, that we're seeking to work into our life, that we're seeking to accomplish in the here and now. Or then you have a passage like Romans 13, where it says, Beside this, you know that the time, uh, that the hour has come, for you to awaken from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So now we're not talking something in the past or even in the present. It's something that's in the future that we're looking forward to that's growing nearer. So what is he calling us to here? So try, let's to try to understand this. Let me break it down and deal with one at a time and what it means, what he's teaching us, and how we're to put on that aspect of the helmet of salvation. The first one we'll take is the, the present or past tense. You know, it's often referred to as our justification. We have been saved by God. It's the aspect that followers of Christ can say that is in our past. Our sins are forgiven through Christ, through our faith in Christ. 
The sin that separated us from God that we deserved, you know, deserve God's punishment is forgiven. Now we are declared just before God. That's why we say justification. And for those who are followers of Christ, we could say we have been saved. But even here, let me back up because we say, okay, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And, and here's some confusion. And specifically, the confusion is between religion and biblical Christianity. Now, you might be thinking, now, wait a second, you're contrasting religion with Christianity? I thought Christianity was a religion. You know, some might be saying, hey, I remember taking world religions in college, and, 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 and they said that Christianity was one of the biggest religions, and so how can you say that Christianity isn't a religion? Now, let me explain that. See, when we think about religion, all religions have a couple things in common. Well, they believe in God. Now, they might define God differently, but they believe there's a God, and they believe that people are separated from God. And religion at its core is a set of rules, a set of, you know, of, of expectations that focus on our attempt to try to fix our relationship with God that somehow we need to try to do good works. Now, again, different religions have different good works. And so some will say, well, you know, you need to go to church regularly, you need to give money, you need to recycle, you, know, you need to become a vegetarian, you need to go to Mecca, you know, you need to volunteer and serve the poor. Whatever it would be, there's different rules. Or, and then some religions have other rules that you, you know, are supposed to not break. And, and so, so you, know, you know, don't drink, don't have sex outside of marriage. You know, women are we're supposed to wear certain clothing, wear burqas, you know, um, you know, don't eat pork. Again, different rules. Now, while the specific rules differ, religion is at this core saying the same thing. Keep these, don't do these things, do these things. And if you do enough good things, you're going to work your way towards God. You're going to fix the problem that you and God have. But it's all about trying to climb our way back to God. Now, here's where Christianity is radically different. Christianity is the opposite. It is the anti-religion because it starts by saying we cannot fix our, way, our relationship with God. Yes, we are separated from God, but we cannot cross that gap. We can't keep enough rules. We can't impress God. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've not only sinned where we've created that separation, but we fall short. Anything that we try to do to fix it is going to fall short. It's going to fail. See, if you look at the teaching of Jesus, that's what Jesus taught. And that's why the people that hated him the most were the religious people of his day. Because what he was teaching was that religion didn't work. He rejected religion, and so they hated him because of it. See, Christianity says that religion doesn't work, but that it's God seeks to have a relationship with us, not by telling us how to work our way towards him, but by him coming and working his way to us. Not by us reaching out, but by him reaching down. And then our taking the hand of grace that he offers. God wants a relationship with us, and he initiates the relationship. We celebrate it at Christmas, that God literally came down and took on human flesh to take action so that he came into our life pursuing us. The problem that separated us from God was sin. But Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He, re he earned God's reward, but instead at the cross took God's, God's punishment. He took our sins upon himself, God's punishment for our sins. And where our sins deserve God's punishment because Jesus took that, if we have faith in him, ask him to forgive us. Look what the promise is. Yes, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And what it's saying is that 
being a Christian isn't about us keeping rules, being good enough. It's, it means admitting to God that I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God by my sins. There's nothing I agree with God. There's nothing I could do to fix it. I can't keep enough rules. But I also affirm that what I could not do, God has done for me. That it's not about me earning my way up. It's about recognizing God has reached down to me and I admit to him my need. I ask him to forgive me through what Jesus has done for me. I ask him to change me from the inside out. What does that look like? Look what it says in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with a heart one believes and is justified. With a mouth one confesses and saved. It's what I know and what I then act upon. Now, so the first question is this. Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? I'm not asking if you're religious. That doesn't really matter. And there might be some, well, I'm trying, but I'm not sure I'm going to get there. There might be others to say, I don't belong there because I know how much I've, I've messed up. And, and, you know, God wants nothing to do with me. And my friends, it's not how good or bad we are. It's admitting that all of us are not good enough and that we need God's grace. And asking then to come and say, God, I ask you to forgive my sins. I admit I have this need. I ask you to forgive me through what Jesus did on the cross. I ask you to give me his forgiveness. Give me his righteousness. Have you ever trusted in him? If you've never done that, I want to invite, invite, tell you, God invites you to do that today. And you might be here and just say, God, I, I agree with you. I ask you to forgive me. I don't want to keep trying. Or I've messed up enough, and, and I don't want to keep running away from you. God, I admit my need, and I ask you to forgive me. I need this relationship with you through Jesus Christ. If you do that, I'd love to explore with you even more what that means. And I, but I, God invites you to do that today. Now, if you do that, and if you've done that, many people here have done that, you have that relationship with Christ. Now, the helmet of salvation for you is recognizing that in Christ, in that faith in Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. You know, we have been forgiven. And yes, Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin, what we deserve because of our sin is death, God's punishment. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God has forgiven you. He's basically taken all the sins out of your account, the punishment. He's put it on Jesus. He's given Jesus your, his, given you Jesus' righteousness so that there's a sense that God now declares you justified. He declares you holy. You're, you're, you're forgiven once for all. It's not, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do it again and I'm not really sure. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. Once for all, it's his faith, once for all that we believe, and then we are made right, we are made pure before God. For those who were with us a couple weeks ago, the breastplate of righteousness, this is what this is talking about. If you want to go more, go back to the, online to the message two weeks ago. It talks about believing this is true. We are made right with God. And Satan is going to try to come and remind you of your failures. And he's going to say, well, here's where you did, and here's you, this is who you are, and you failed here, and you just, you, know, you just can't be a good dad. You can't be a good mom. You can't, your marriage isn't going to work. You know, you're just going to continue to fall into that, that sin, that same thing that you've been addicted to for years. He's going to tell you. He's going to accuse you. In fact, in, in the book of Ephesians, here he's called literally the name in the book of Ephesians, he's called the accuser. That's the name that he's given. That's who he is. That's what he does. He accuses us. But remember the promise of Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have relationship with Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. He'll accuse you, but it's a lie because all that is forgiven. It's gone in Jesus Christ. My friends, we're all going to struggle with this. 
See, if I believe the lie of the accuser, there's plenty of things that Satan will look at me and, you know, you did this, you know, I, I don't belong up here. I don't, I, I, I failed in way too many ways. I don't, I'm not here. God isn't using me because I'm perfect, but because I've trusted in Lord Jesus Christ and I believe what he says about me and I'm letting that change me step by step. Now, that's a past tense of salvation. And that's what it means to put that on, the helmet of salvation. But there's also a present tense, the sense that we are being saved. This is sometimes referred to as sanctification. And this is how God is currently working in the lives of those who are seeking to follow Jesus. Yes, he has forgiven us from the penalty of sin, but his salvation also now is freeing us from the power of sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't struggle that we aren't tempted in some way. And, and no, it's, it's, we're going to continue to struggle because this side of eternity, we still live in a world that's broken. But you know what Ephesians 6 is really teaching about? When you look at what we're in this spiritual battle, we have an enemy that fights against us. We're dealing with the power of sin, you know, struggling against us. And the fact is that if we take the armor of God, we will stand. We will be able to persevere. And that's what he's talking about here, to save us from the power of sin in, in two ways. Number one, part of that power is, is in temptation. That we're tempted. We're tempted to do things that we know that are wrong. And, and um, you know, we're tempted to walk away from God. Now, again, the present aspect of salvation doesn't free us from temptation itself, but the power of temptation. See, again, the presence of sin, we're not freed from that until we get to heaven. The side of eternity, we still deal with the temptation but you know what no longer has power over us. There are many people here that could talk about, yeah, in the past, I was addicted to this. I, I continued this path. I continued to do things that were destructive to me, and I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't stop myself. Why? Because the Bible says that apart from Christ, we're slaves to sin. And the Bible says, no, in Christ, we no longer, we're going to still struggle, but if we take the armor of God, we are no longer slaves, that we have the freedom to have victory. That's what he talked about in Ephesians or Philippians 2 when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What it's saying is don't try to become saved by your efforts. No, that's religion. It's speaking to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have been justified, who have been saved, and saying, now what God has worked in you, the righteousness that you have, now let God work it out of you so that it now expresses itself in your behavior and your actions so that you're a different type of person. But it's not only dealing with our struggle and temptation, it's also dealing with the power of sin as it deals with us when we live in this broken world and, and, and trials and sickness and death and, and people who wrong us in different ways, our battle with the impact of sin and evil. The fact is we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where, again, we experience all kinds of terrible things. And just, again, just today and this week, I've dealt with people that are doing that and, and are st struggling with that. And the fact is, we still go through the storm of brokenness. God doesn't free us from that. We aren't freed from the presence of sin until heaven. But here and now, in the midst of that storm, God frees us from the power, in a sense, that we realize that in the midst of this, he's going to allow things to happen, but there's always a good purpose. There's always a redeeming purpose in him. I love a great passage that speaks on this is the latter part of Romans 8. Look what it says in, starting in verse 28. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
And what it's saying is we will face difficulties and trials in life. But if we have a relationship with God, if we are saved when we know that we are always under the protection and love of an all-powerful, loving Father, and He's going to cause all things to work together for good, meaning that He will bring something good out of it, doesn't mean that everything's good. There's a lot of things that are terrible, that are evil, that are, that are horrendous. But God is such that he's working that he will allow bad things to happen only because he knows that he will bring something good out of it. Now, we may not always see the good. In fact, the Bible's very clear. There are times you will not see the good. It will not make sense. But that's where we struggle and go back and say, God, help me to believe what I know to be true even though I don't see it. And it continues in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? to all the things that we face in life, all the struggles. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We are going to face things, but we know that God is for us, and God has expressed his love for us in so much that he sent his son to die for us. He gave his son so we can have a relationship with him. Hey, we can now trust that he's going to be good. He's going to take care of us that we're, in, we're safe because we're saved. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it he condemns? Jesus Christ, the one who has died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. At times we think, well, God, yeah, I'm there, but, but God, I don't deserve it, and I failed you here, and maybe you're letting me down, maybe you're judging me, and, and that's where we go back to part of the helmet of salvation is I've been saved, and that gives me confidence of where I am, and who's going to bring a charge against me in that? Nobody can. And so I look at it and I say, okay, no, Christ is interceding for me. And what shall, it continues, who shall separate us from the love of Christ or tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can anything really destroy this relationship we have of God, the promise of his character? No, it says, it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not that we are survivors. Not even that we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We come out of it stronger than before because God is at work. He's got a purpose and a plan. And so here's the promise. No, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What a great promise. Do you believe that? Put on that helmet of salvation. It gives you security. It gives you hope. Do you know that to be true? Where it is if it's true. And that's in the present tense. But then there's also that last part, that future tense. Glorification is often this idea that we will be saved. Now, several times in the, moment, in the past I've said, Okay, we're still going to live in a fallen world because we're not freed from the presence of sin. We still have to deal with it. God saves us through the storm. But one day God will free us and save us from the presence of sin. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin and we will be saved in the promises of God. Now, this is probably the part that we talk the least about. But yet, if you look at this passage, I think when it talks about the helmet of salvation, I think this is probably the area that is most emphasized. In fact, it's really clear. One of the rules of interpreting the Bible is that you, know, you use Scripture and let it interpret itself. So if there's a passage that isn't clear, look for another passage that talks about the same thing and see if it explains it more. So let me take you to another passage in Thessalonians where it talks about the helmet of salvation. And look at how it describes it. 
For since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, what's that mean, the hope of salvation? Not just the helmet of salvation, the hope. It refused to our future hope of heaven. That the helmet that we wear is the reality that we know that we live for eternal future, that hope. But when we think about the helmet of our hope of salvation, here's the problem. We struggle with that because when we use the word hope, we often mean something very different than the Bible means when it speaks of it. So when we talk about hope, we think of things that we hope will happen that may or may not, you know, we desire it, but may or may not happen. It's very uncertain. May not even be likely. I mean, we could sit there and say, hey, it's December. I hope we're going to have a really warm Christmas with lots of sunshine this northeast Ohio. And you're thinking, how long have you lived here? You know, it's sunshine, northeast Ohio. Those things don't go together in the wintertime. Or, or I might be sitting there, you know, a lot of times hope is something that we wish for is not very realistic. Why do people buy lottery tickets? Because they hope to win. It motivates their, decision, their behavior. You know, you look at that, and that's very unrealistic, but yet you do it. Or even to take it to a further extreme, why do people go to the Browns games? Because we hope they're going to win. We hope they're going to be good. We hope they're going to make the Super Bowl. It's totally unrealistic. We all know that to be true. And now when the Bible uses the word hope, it's not talking about this idea of something we hope for, we wish for, we dream about that, that may or may not happen. It's talking about a confident expectation of something that is going to happen but not yet realized. We know it's coming and we're waiting for it. I mean, I think one example is you have a bride. Why does a bride do all this work and she does all this planning and she's planning for this day and she's buying all this stuff because she knows the wedding day is coming. That's the hope. It's a confident expectation that's not yet here and yet it's driving her behavior. We're going back to the opening illustration of pregnancy. You know, what causes a woman to go through pregnancy? All the discomfort that comes with that, it's the hope of a child. And it's not like hope, well, I hope it's a, I wish it's a child. I'm not really sure. It's not like you go to a pregnant woman. Oh, you're pregnant? You have a baby? I hope it's a baby. I'm really not sure what it is. It might be a ball. It might be a watermelon. I'm not, you know, we just, I look forward to finding out. I mean, you know, you look at that and you say, well, that's stupid. Well, yeah, because it's, it's something that you know that's going to happen, but yet it's not yet realized. And then it drives your behavior. In fact, if you think about it, this is so important because we're always motivated by the hope that is most real to us. You look at it and you say, whatever we is most real, and what is most real to us? From a biblical perspective, do we think that all we, we live on this world and the person who dies with the most toys wins? Is it about, you know, just climbing over the ladder and, you know, getting whatever we get in the here and now? Or do we matter for something more significant? Is life more meaningful? Is there, is there a greater purpose of life? And Satan's going to attack our mind and say, just live in the here and now. Let me even give you another illustration. Let's say you have two college students, and they go and they say, well, both of them, I want to go to, I want to, go to medical school. And, and one of them goes, and all they can see is the here and now. And so they live, and they, if the weekend comes, they have a party, and they're not studying, because all they can see is, while they talk about medical school, what they really focus in on is the enjoyment of today. Well, the other one is totally focused. And so they're going to say no to some of those things because they want to say yes to a bigger hope, a bigger goal. And they know if I really work hard, I'm going to accomplish this, my, my lifelong dream, and do the job that I want to do. Now, you see, it's the one, it's the one you know, saying no. He's, he's, no, it's not that he's saying no. He's saying yes to something bigger. 
One sees that he's there in college for a purpose, and he's, and he's persevering to get to that higher goal. The other one can't see the purpose. He's just living for the here and now. And here's the whole idea. is as followers of Christ, God's saying, hey, we're in college. We're, but it's not just about the parties. It's not about the here and now. It's about something greater. Live for that purpose. Don't let Satan get your mind off of that. Wear that helmet that remembers what life is all about. No, we're called to live by faith and not by sight. We're called, as Hebrews says, that faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Yes, we live in a fallen world. And God allows us to experience pain and disease and brokenness and, and all these things that can get us, just destroy us. But you know part of why God allows that? Because it's reminding us this is not our home. And when you go through these things, part of you cries out, this is wrong. This is, this life shouldn't be this way. And you're right. It is wrong. That's not the world you're created for. You're created for the Garden of Eden. You're created for a world where those things didn't exist. And Ecclesiastes says that our heart cries out for that eternity. And what we need to realize is that we struggle because deep down we know that. We're created for something better, and, and we know that. And here's the promise. If you're a follower of Christ, the promise is this. One day you get heaven. One day you get what you're created for. And if you realize that, that, what that means is that, you know, just like a pregnant woman can go through difficulty because you know it's working toward this blessing and I can live through life. I don't need all the fulfillment in life. I don't need to get everything I can. I, I can find meaning and significance even in disappointment because it's ultimately not just about the here and now. In fact, from a Christian perspective, let me give you an encouragement. If you're a Christian, you ever think about it this way? This is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. We live in a broken world impacted by sin. This is as close to hell as we're going to ever get. We're going to be removed from the power and presence of sin, the, the promises of God. I can endure this when I know that this is temporary. If you're not a Christian, the warning is this is as close to heaven as you're going to ever get unless you accept Christ. And, and realize that God invites you to this relationship and it's important to embrace that. So as a Christian, the good news is we're going to get heaven. Bad news is we don't get heaven until we get heaven. So on this side of eternity, we're going to continue to live in brokenness. But we shouldn't let that define us. And we shouldn't let the distractions of this world, of all the things that, you know, don't let that define you. Live for a perspective of eternity. Live for that perspective of saying, God, I don't, want to, I don't just want to be caught up in the world and chasing my tail and doing all the things and, and, and you know, investing in the things that really don't matter. I want to be the person that lives because I'm living for something greater, that I have a life that ultimately amended my life. I'm, I'm proud of the things that it accomplished. I'm, I'm proud of, of who I've been. I'm proud, I'm proud of, of the, the long-term perspective. Friends, first of all, you have that relationship with Christ. That's where it starts. And if you have that relationship with Christ, you know that you're made right with him, that he gives you strength and power to make it through whatever you face in life. And ultimately, go beyond that and recognize that that relationship with him not only saves you from sin, it saves you to an eternal perspective. Our lives should matter. Our lives are different. We, we don't live like the rest of the world do because we realize that we live with an eternal hope that should redefine the way that we live. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. 
There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.